you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 14. It's the scripture I just read. Matthew 14, beginning in verse 22. This is the parallel scripture to Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 45. And we, as you know, are in the midst of a study of the gospel of Mark. And this morning, I'm using the parallel passage from Matthew as our primary text because Matthew gives us the account of Peter walking on the water. Mark, as you know, took his eyewitness account from Peter, but perhaps Peter said, oh no, don't put that one in the gospel there. But Matthew had no reservations about doing that. For I want to talk with you about walking with God. You remember the context here. Jesus and the disciples have just fed the 5,000. The multiplying of opportunities as Jesus took the five loaves and two fish and took it and gave thanks and broke it and distributed it. And as the disciples took it in their hands, it multiplied into the hands of the thousands who were gathered to hear Jesus teach. And then it tells us that Jesus made his disciples get into the boat to go to the other side of the lake. While he went off onto the hillside, up to the mountainside, to be alone with his father. Remember, the scripture tells us that Jesus only did what he saw his father doing, and he needed that time with Papa to know what was in the heart of his father. And so he spent time alone with him to hear what the father was doing next. As the disciples left, it was probably evening time because they had just fed and after feeding the thousands and they got in the boat and as happens frequently on the Sea of Galilee, a storm blew up and literally sort of blew up the sea. Matthew again gives us very vivid terminology to describe what's happening here as the disciples are out in the sea. It says that The wind was against them and they were being buffeted by the waves. And the word buffeted there really means torment. And Mark tells us that in the midst of that, they're straining at the oars. But that's not all. It's the fourth watch of the night. It's three o'clock in the morning. Now, how many of you know that at three o'clock in the morning, when the wind is against you and the waves are tormenting you and you're straining with all your might, You're just about out of gas. You're coming to the end of yourself. And then I want you to have the picture. Get it firmly in your mind. Here's those disciples in their boat. Tossed around by the waves, the wind, 
straining, straining at the oars. And suddenly, Jesus comes walking along. (laughs) He's just walking along. And what's going on here? Look at what it says. If you go over to the parallel passage in Mark, it says this very interesting thing. If you go to Mark chapter 6. Verse 48, he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by. Now, what on earth is going on here? It's Jesus just, you know, he's out for a stroll and he figures, you know, waving at the boys as they're straining at the oars. Going to the other side, guys. How about you? It's passing you by. Do you think that's what was going on here? I don't think so. I think I think there's something embedded in that simple phrase passing by. Because Mark uses a word here in the Greek that's got a complement in the Hebrew and shows up a couple of very significant times in the Old Testament. When God passes Okay, anybody, extra sermon points available this morning. Anybody tell me where in the Old Testament that phrase shows up? God passing by. All right. Where? Moses. Exodus. Exodus what? Exodus 33. Exodus 33. Let's take a look there for a moment. Verse 14, Exodus 33. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. And then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock and when my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. 
Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. The Lord is going to pass by with all of his goodness before Moses, before the disciples. Double sermon points for who can tell me where the other place in the Old Testament it talks. What's that? Ooh, Brenda's son gets double points today. Woo! First Kings 19. First Kings 19. Here's the context. Elijah has just defeated the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Jezebel's heard of it and said, boo! And Elijah went running. Off by himself. Verse 9. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. I'm in verse 10 now. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said... Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. When Elijah heard it, and after the fire, came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah was in the midst of his own internal storm And then all of those storms showed up around him with wind and earthquake and fire, but the Lord came to him. The still small voice, Elijah. So this was more than just like Jesus out for a stroll, out for him doing another cool magic trick for the disciples. Look at me, magician Jesus. I'm going to walk on the water today. This was a revelation of who He is. The Lord who treads on the waves, as the psalmist says. And He was passing by the disciples in the midst of their fear, in the midst of the torment, in the midst of the strain, in the midst of the struggle. Here He is. Jesus coming along, walking by, and look at what he says. When they cry out in fear, take courage. It is I, literally, I am. The I am has just shown up. 
I am is here. Don't be afraid. Now, I love this next part of the story because here's where you and I sort of enter into the story. Because Peter, in the midst of some kind of either religious ecstasy or maybe like extreme seasickness, says, all right, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. I love Peter. And what does the Lord say to him? He says, come. All right, if you have the insert in your bulletin that's got the lilies on the one side, on the other side, there's a place for sermon notes. I want to talk to you very quickly about what it means to walk with God. What does it mean to walk with God? The first, the first thing that you will need to understand about walking with God is this. There is always a call. There is always an invitation. There is always the Lord's voice saying to you and to me, Come. The first thing that he says to each and every one of us is, Come to me. This is the invitation of salvation. This is the call to us to trade in our own life for His. Come to Me. His next call is always the call to come after Me. This is the call of discipleship. And in fact, this Scripture that we are looking at this morning is an incredible example of extreme discipleship, of true obedience. Jesus says, come after me. He says, come to me, come after me. He says, come with me. Come with me. Come with me and experience Friendship and intimacy with me. These are the calls, the invitations that Jesus... Can you hear Him this morning? Right now, He's saying to you and to me, He's saying, come, come. Come to me. Come after me. Come with me. But guess what? When you're walking with God, there is always risk involved. And the risk is this. You're going to have to get out of your boat. If you want to walk on water, you're going to have to get out of the boat. Because Jesus isn't walking in the boat. He's walking outside of the boat.
And if you're anything like me this morning, and I have a sneaking suspicion that you are, you're really comfortable in your boat. I kind of like your boat. That safe, secure, stable place that you know the dimensions of, and it's all oh so familiar. Except for when the waves start tormenting your boat and the wind's against it, and it's three o'clock in the morning. And you're at the end of yourselves. Then that boat, a little less comfortable. But it still gives the illusion of being the secure place. As long as I'm in the boat, I'm not in the water. We have a strong aversion to risk. I love what Eileen Guter writes about this. She says, you can live on bland food so as to avoid an ulcer. Drink no tea, coffee, or other stimulants in the name of health. Go to bed early. Stay away from nightlife. Avoid all controversial subjects so as to never give offense. Mind your own business. Avoid involvement in other people's problems. Spend money only on necessities. Save all you can. And you can still break your neck in the bathtub and it will serve you right. <laughs> Oh, we try to, you know, we try to avoid every risk we can. I've said it before, I'll say it again. You know, you know, the number one selling armchair in America is not called the Risky Boy. It's the Lazy Boy. There's always risk involved. There's always fear. How many times in the scriptures does the Lord show up and say, Fear not! Fear not! I think I mentioned this last week or the week before. Somebody counted out 365 times, one for every day. Fear not! Literally means... I know you're afraid, but don't run away because I've got something good for you and what I have for you is greater and better than your fear. Now there's the fear of inadequacy. The fear of the unknown. Fear of failure. All of them just are like imprisoning to us. I really like what John Ortberg has written about this. It's just a, a very brief uh, quote I want to give here. He says this. Talking about Peter here. Did, and the question is, did Peter fail? Because 
That's the fear we have. We fear that if we step out of the boat and fall, we fail. So did Peter fail when he stepped out of the boat and walked in the water? I don't believe he did. I don't believe he, at least he tried. There was 11 other disciples who never got out of the boat. Not one of them walked on the water, but Peter did. Here's what he writes. Failure is not an event, but rather a judgment about an event. Did you catch that? Failure is not an event. It is a judgment about an event. Failure is not something that happens to us or a label we attach to things. It is the way that we think about outcomes. Before Jonas Salk developed a vaccine for polio that finally worked, he tried 200 unsuccessful ones. Somebody asked him, how did it feel to fail 200 times? He said, I never failed 200 times in my life, Sock replied. I was taught not to use the word failure. I just discovered 200 ways how not to vaccinate for polio. Somebody once asked Winston Churchill what most prepared him to risk political suicide by speaking out against Hitler during the years of appeasement in the mid-30s, then to lead Great Britain against Nazi Germany. Churchill said it was the time when he had to repeat a grade in elementary school. You mean you failed a, a year in grade school, he was asked? I never failed anything in my life. I was given a second opportunity to get it right. There's always fear. There always will be. You will face it until you die. But there's always a decision. There's always a promise that's been given. And the promise that's been given is this. Take courage. I am. Don't be afraid. This is the promise that you and I have. We have the very promise. And this is what we celebrate this morning on Resurrection Sunday. We celebrate the promise, the reality that He is alive. That this is not the end of the story. That death has not won the victory. This is the promise. Whether here, there, or in the air, He will be with us at all times. And it's better to be with Jesus outside of the boat than to be with the rest of the disciples in the boat. there's always a decision. Now think about this. I want you to... I'm, I'm kind of a visual person. i got a good imagination. I want you to get the picture one more time now. Think about it. Here are the disciples in the boat, 3 o'clock in the morning. The boat's hewing and hawing and heaving. Maybe they're heaving. 
It's, you know, the waves, the wind, they're straining at the oars. Jesus says, come. And here's the picture. Do you see it? Peter straddles a leg over the gunwale and brings the other leg over. And then he's hanging on. I don't know how it all, you know, but Jesus is over here and he's hanging onto the boat and he's looking at Jesus and he's looking in his eyes. But there had to come a moment when he let go. He had to let go of the boat. That's the decision, people. That's the decision that's facing you this morning. You're hanging on to the boat. Even if you're all the way outside of the boat and you still got two fingers attached, you're still on the boat. There's an invitation to let go. Surrender. And then you can walk. And you know what? This is just another one of those... I'm sorry, this is pastoral speculation, but just indulge me for a moment. I would contend to you that Peter didn't so much walk on the water as he walked on the Word of Jesus. That's what he was really walking on. He was walking on the Word, come. And he was walking. And as long as he was looking at Jesus... He kept walking, but then he saw the wind. That's when we get in trouble, when we see the wind. Now, I don't know about you, I don't think anybody here actually has seen the wind. Anybody can tell me that they've seen the wind? I don't think anybody sees the wind. What you do is you see the effects of the wind. You see the waves. You see the crashing. You know, you see the ship doing this. You see all of that other that's happening and he lost sight of Jesus' eyes. So he made another decision. That decision when he looked away and he began to sink. But he made a really smart decision at that point. And he said, Lord, save me! And I love Jesus. He just says he just took his hand and reached out and picked him up. Then he was walking on the water again. This time with his hand in Jesus' hand. And Jesus looks at him. And I don't think Jesus was, like, frustrated with Peter. Oh, man, blew it again. I think, again, my imagination, Jesus just smiled at him and said, Oh, you little faith. Why'd you doubt? Come on. Here we are. Let's walk. Come on. And there's always a changed life that happens. There's always a transformation, one way or the other. Let me tell you something very clearly. To not decide is to decide. To not decide to get out of the boat is to decide. It's to decide for your own comfort rather than your growth. It's to decide a little more inflexibility rather than flexibility. 
Oh, it's a decision. And lives are changed either way, every day. But here's the great news this morning as we close, and that is this. There's always another opportunity. There's always another opportunity to get out of the boat. There's always another opportunity to trust Him. And you've got that opportunity this morning. This morning, the Lord is here. And He's saying, come! And there's another opportunity to follow Him today. I want to close by taking you to Luke 24. Just going to read it. Believe me, I'm not preaching another message right now. I just want to bring you to one final, well, there's actually, it's two walks, two more walks, walking with God. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices that they had prepared and they walked to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, Suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. Be crucified and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. And when they came back from the tomb, told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Now that same day, two of them, there's Peter again, (laughs) not walking, he's running to the tomb. He's wondering. That same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Worship team, come on up if you would. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. And he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and don't know the things that have happened in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and crucified him. But we'd hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. What is more, it is the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, How foolish you are, how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. I'm just going to keep passing on. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. 
and he disappeared from their sight and they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he walked with us, talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? I don't know if your heart is burning this morning. I know mine is. Because I hear the voice of the Lord saying, come home, come to me. Come after me, come with me. If you just close your eyes for just a moment. If you're here this morning and you're hearing the voice of Jesus saying, come to me. And you've never received Jesus into your life as your Lord and Savior today. Today He says, come to me. If you want to get out of the boat and get in to the adventure of walking with Jesus and you've never made that decision and today you'd like to, would you just hold up your hand? People's eyes are closed. If you've never made a decision to follow Christ but today you hear Him saying, come. Come, come. He wants to change your life. But you got to let go. Surrender your life to Him. Anybody this morning never made that decision and today you want to say come. You want to say yes, I'll come. You're here this morning and uh, you've gotten kind of comfortable in the boat. And you hear him saying come after me and there's some things that he's calling you to in obedience. And you've been kind of like, oh, maybe not. I don't know that I can. I'm afraid. But he's saying, come. And you hear his voice today saying, come. I don't know what that looks like to you, what your circumstance is, but if you hear him saying, come after me, again, while eyes are closed, you just hold up your hand. Let me see if you're just hearing the voice of the Lord saying, come after me. Yep. Okay. Good. Others? Come on. You're hearing him say, come after me. Ah, but I'm afraid to risk again. I've been hurt too many times. Saying, come after me. Maybe you hear him saying today, come with me. Come into the deep end. Let me teach you how to walk in the water. Let me teach you the deep places of walking with me. You're hearing that come with me, the call of intimacy. The call to be even more alone with him and more connected at a deeper level in intimacy with Him. And you're just hearing that, come with me. If you're hearing that invitation this morning, just slip up your hand. Come with me. 